Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So it's useful to um, an understanding of what um, we talk about when we talk about mind or the Buddhist word chitta is the, is the place of realization, also the place of suffering, the creator of birth and death, creator of the world, and the place where the world ends. You know. Sense of that that world that haunts us, that tempts us, that worries us, that entices us, that builds up, slips away, changes overnight, and we're always kind of holding together or feeling oppressed by or relishing or whatever. That that world that's all arising in chitta, you know. So it's not. You can see it's not a rational process, it's just kind of stuff welling up. And probably, if you wanted to get down to, to a single word, you'd probably say it's better to call it heart than mind. Uh, English language doesn't quite do the same thing. But it probably, you know, heart isn't really it either, but states of heart is probably a better way of relating to experience than states of mind. Because it's not a deliberate act of thought, but this kind of reflex of being affected, of um, things kind of moving, um, more or less seemingly, you know, independently of one's wishes at times. (laughs) In fact, you know, sometimes just trampling all over you. And so when you want to meditate, you know, very often it's really just uh, just what do you need to do just to enter this area and to um, to do what? You know, to liberate. Mm-hmm. So actually, you know, the, sometimes the image of chitta is like a spider which produces this silk from its own body. And it creates a web. You can run around on this web. You know, it also gets tangled up in it. This is really like chitta is like this. It's just something, this uh, awareness that can be produce these incredible reels and stories and webs that it runs around on, it dances on, um, throws around to catch other people in, tries to grab the the world inside this web ends up tangled up in it, you know? and it's all produced from its own body. Uh, and this is the, the, you know, how do we first of all, you know, really acknowledge that and come to terms with that, check it out, and how do we say stop that process or not at least not get stuck in that process? Yeah. It's kind of endless 
production of states. And why it's useful to to consider it as heart is because these states have always got some kind of emotion, emotional, emotive, affective quality. They're not just nice, clean, little abstract thoughts. (laughs) You know, define things. They've actually got some, you know, some mood or some feeling with them. Sometimes extremely impassioned, anguished. Sometimes just playful, fanciful, wistful, courageous, joyful, loving, tender, wrathful, spiteful, grumpy, depressed, so on. It's always got these kind of flavorings of it. And those flavorings are really deeply resonant. They, 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 they tremble. And in that trembling um, of the heart comes this sense of solid self, somebody who's in there, you know, caught in it. Mm-hmm. It's actually just the continual activity of the chitta that's generating the sense of there being a solid person in there. So when we talk about trying to liberate, we're not actually going to liberate any person or any body. It's just to free the heart from this continual obsessive um, creations, many of which are either just complete pointless, useless clutter, <laughs> and uh, on some of it directly painful and anguishing, you know, self-doubt, self-hatred, depression, anxiety, and so on, as well as malice and grudges that we can, we can bear. Fortunately, that's not the only thing that's happening. There's also this tremendous uh, potential the heart has to produce and generate and sustain rather beautiful um, patterns of compassion and appreciation and courage. Beautiful things. So it's always uh, realizing that the heart has to is the is what's going to liberate the heart, you know? and it's sort of coming to that kind of recognition that it's only this is this is what you got. It's like a uh, sort of like a drunken Buddha, you know. <laughs> part of his Buddha, but part of his drunk. And his drunken Buddha has him to sober up. <laughs> and stop hitting the bottle. (laughs) And I think one of the, uh, often what's talked about, you know, mindfulness and the Eightfold Path, I think the the word mindfulness can be used to cover just about everything, you know. But, the difference between mindfulness and just attention to something, like mindfulness when you bear something in mind. You know, so you can, the difference between mindfulness and just attending to something is that mindfulness is certain a richness to it, and there are certain, if you like, emotive or emotional qualities. Not exactly emotional, but they're emotive. They're heartful. You might. Say. It's not just a kind of brain thing where you stick your 
awareness onto something. There's a whole resonant and uh, feeling sense that goes along with it. Subtle. And the two um, most useful things to bear in mind, because they're often things that we we forget or we lose touch with, is um, Kuhiri and Otapa. And Hiri means a sense of self-respect. It means uh, a sense of moral concern, moral conscience, moral empathy, compassion, you might say, valuing oneself, valuing one's own heart, you might say. Um, That somehow this heart, which is half drunk, is also a Buddha. And you're thinking, well, okay, it's a bit drunk, but it's basically it's a Buddha. So, you you know, you, you've got to give it a uh, little bit of support, a little bit of confidence. Otherwise, it's never going to actually um, straighten up. If you keep considering that you are the drunkenness, then you, you are a drunk, you know. <laughs> innately, you know, you are innately crazy or drunk or whatever it is, then you never get the sense of, well, why bother? You know, you never get the sense of of any aspiration or commitment. If you think you're a Buddha, then you probably don't realise you're half drunk. <laughs> so maybe drunken Buddha is a good, eye, good enough, slightly Zen, but never mind. So he says, yes, he's Buddha, but he's a little bit tipsy, you know. Been hitting the bottle a bit much. You know, got confused. But that sense of fundamental, the only thing that's going to liberate, it's not going to come from anywhere else but your own heart. So there's this potential for liberation right there. You know? And we've just got to keep touching that, touching that. And what is the potential for liberation? It means we have some sense of... Um, being able to check, being able to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold, stop, that's not so good. You know, we have some way of discerning what's skillful and unskillful. You know, with malice, you can't always get, get down to the fine, de- fine gradations, but you basically can sense anger's not so good, malice isn't so good, violence isn't so good, compassion, oh, that's good. It's got a basic moral sense. And they're they're not just value judgments, they actually have um, particular energies. So if you feel from the heart what compassion or generosity or um, kindness feels like, in a sense, kind of spacious, kind of energy feels quite bright and spacious. When you feel a sense of, of anger or malice, it's tight. It's, it's, it's hard. It's a very different quality to it. It's kind of, you know, they're not just ideas. They're actual energies that have very different um, features to them. So, and you can sense that. Your heart has the ability to sense that. So if we just go from the brain, you think, well, it's good and it's bad. Okay, same thing. One thing's good, you know. What's the difference? But from the heart, they're very different things. And this is not a matter of moralizing, this is a matter of actually feeling it. And we can all do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you get the sense in which 
you can actually feel those qualities uh, have an effect on your body. So when you get a sense of affection, love, then you feel body energy brightens up. You know, you feel more relaxed, expansive. You can feel nice energy in your body when you get uh, grudging, spiteful, resentful. You know, crabby, mean-hearted. Then you feel this kind of tightening up and uh, darkness in the body. And that's the way it is. You know? I've never known anybody to feel kind of resentment in a relaxed, carefree way. <laughs> I don't feel spaciously resentful. When I feel resentful, I feel tight, mean, hard, <laughs> and righteous about it. <laughs> You know, I can, I can, I got, my accountant mind comes out, I've done this and this and this, and I didn't get enough of that, you know. Something like that, or jealous, you know. I got, he got that, and I got that. Kind of accountant mind. And, oof, you, and then you can actually, your, your accountant mind can, can believe in all this, but you go to your heart sense, you think, ooh. <laughs> you know, Scrooge comes in. Tight, hard. So these are not just kind of, you know, um, value judgments. They're actually heart senses, and then you always kind of realize it's really very simple. You know, if you come to the to the heart, it's a very clear, um, it's a very clear measure. Good, bad. That's why the Buddha taught a lot just about what's good and what's bad. Very simple stuff, not esoteric, and yet a lot of people don't really take the time or trust themselves or just feel it out and be with that. We're always looking for some kind of system, technique, performance that I'm going to get to, states of, you know, out there, it's going to get me enlightened if I do this, that, and the other, and it isn't going to get you anywhere. This is the wrong approach. Very much. Meditation, just coming back to what's happening right now and how does that feel for you. And it's not intellectually very impressive and it's not uh, ideologically very kind of fascinating. But from a heart sense, it's, it's very grounding. It brings you back and you know that and you can sense that. That's what you want to do. You know, and the more you do that, you, you get this, you get a real confidence, self-respect in basically qualities of skillful and unskillful. And these are really absolutely essential for liberating the heart. You can't get liberated through unskillful means. <laughs> so essentially, if you just keep, you know, whittling away the unskillful, the skillful is what's going to, you know, act on your behalf. Yeah. So it's uh, a phrase that's used in the uh, chanting, one of our chants, which is always stuck in my mind. One of the one of the Purita chanting is, it's the p- practice is in accordance with Dhamma, and it's the path that eliminates the defilements 
practices in accordance with Dhamma and it's the path that eliminates the defilements. And what it it's what it doesn't it doesn't say I eliminate my defilements. <laughs> I do, I practice. It says it's practice is in accordance with Dhamma and it's the path that liberates that clears the defilements, eliminates the defilements. So the idea that, that I'm gonna get rid of my, I've got to try really hard and get rid of my weaknesses is just, uh, uh, you know, it's a wrong, it's a nice idea in a way, but it's, it's, a, it's a wrong idea because you end up not relying upon the basic sensitivity of, of, of awareness of skillful and unskillful and just trusting the skillful come back to the only thing you can know really in the heart is the skillful and the unskillful a very clear feeling like breathing in and breathing out very different qualities trust the skillful and you just keep coming back to the skillful you don't know the future you don't know how it will take you don't even know how to meditate you don't know the system you don't know Buddhism but you know the skillful and you stay with that and the doubt, the worry comes along and you say, that's not skillful. I don't want you. you know? <laughs> and you can see that there are obvious things that are unskillful, you know, violence, malice, or whatever. And there are things that perhaps are not so obvious, like worry, doubt, anxiety. What's this feel like? Doesn't it feel bright? Doesn't it feel spacious? Don't buy into that. You know? Uh, and so this is actually the more you the more you do that, then it just starts to take a lot of the complexities of the spider's web, starts to deconstruct them. You get down to very few main strands, you know. And you've got you've got a way of you get some confidence. And it comes down to this sense of you know, self respect, really trusting that 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 moral ethical, compassionate sensitivity. Yeah. And the other, Otipa, is you, you uh, respect that in others. Yeah. You're not the only drunken Buddha here. There's a whole lot of drunken Buddhas. <laughs> yeah. Some are really drunk, <laughs> but basically, Buddha's in there somewhere, you know. So you try to look past, you know, the the what what we we might feel someone else is kind of, you know, lazy or you know, careless or weak-hearted or dithering or inadequate, you know, or you know, whatever. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> but you don't need to know that, really. It's kind of, those things very easily come to mind. <laughs> yeah. And you can feel, well, actually, when they come to my mind, mm, it doesn't feel so skillful. My mind starts to get petty, uh, uh, loses generosity, losing compassion, Losing my sense of love and uh, affection for others, my sense of concern for them, that's not so good. 
So that may be true, but I don't want to go to that. Yeah, because that is not a path factor. Path factors are always skillful. Skillful path factors you see see the good. See the good. Respect. Respect for others. It means, you know, even if you're completely totally sloshed paralytic Buddha, you know, waving your arms around, throwing up all over the place. Still, you know, um, I'm not going to give up on you, I'm not going to uh, insult you, I'm not going to violate you, I'm not going to abuse you. I'm going to recognize this too is a fellow human being. You know, and uh, these are, they're, they're experiencing conditions, karma, things that are flooding and overwhelming them, just as I do. I'm drunk too. And you know the way that uh, when you get a, a few drunks, the way they best work together is kind of in order to, to, to stand up, but they just get hold of each other. And, it, you know, your drunkenness and my drunkenness just about kind of help to balance each other out so we can sort of totter down the road, swaying to and fro, but kind of holding each other up. That's the way it works best. You sort of, so you get the sense of respect for yourself, respect for others. A couple of drunks get together and, you know, stop drinking and just try and stagger along, half supporting each other, um, rather than fighting with each other. So, you know, you get something like that. It's a certain, um, you know, it's very human. We're not looking at ideal people. We're looking at real people um, in this particular, you know, uh, karma conditioned state whereby we are affected sometimes through, through causes and conditions that are not of our own making, you yeah? When you get born as a human being, you know, you come into um, a situation where from the moment of conception you're starting getting affected by all kinds of things. You're starting affected by your mother's hormones, you know, what's happening to her. So before you even got a kind of say in the matter already, you're getting, you know, stuff happening and it goes on. So, you know, you come out pretty much soaked steeped in the various causes and effects, anxieties, worries, hopes, ups and downs of other beings. So when you get this kind of, and you get social conditioning, cultural condition, it's just huge. So, um, you know, when you kind of recognize it, like, see it like this, and you try to, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of ignore all that. You, you can't ignore all that, but you can you can understand it as with a sense of compassion. You see, so from your heart sense, it doesn't really matter because no matter how you know, the why it's like this, who, why they're like that, how they should be, could be, whatever, all you can recognize is this is a being, a heart, that has been flooded with the things of this world, just like I have. Oof, you know, 
being born as a human being is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for sissies. This is this is a workout, you know. <laughs> so if we can, you know, get through a day without actually, with some sense of self-respect, respect for others, this is definitely a red-letter day. You know, chalk it up as a winner. So we just keep, we have to keep coming back to that, you know, from from the in cultivation. Otherwise, there's no real ability to be mindful because you can't bear anything in mind. You know? Unless you feel negative about yourself, you, you, actually your mind is not capable of bearing very much. You know? You know, the heart, the, the, your, your mind or your heart base can only really bear things, can bear things in mind when it's big. When it's big and spacious, you can, you can take a lot. When it's tight and small and dithering and fluttering, it can't bear very much. You know? So it's really just the pragmatism of it is you've got to start really kind of respecting the, 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 your own capacities, your own heart, your own sensitivity, your own moral sense. And the heart will grow. It responds very well to that. Every act of kindness actually is enormously uh, productive in that sense, just for widening and broadening and strengthening the heart, then you can bear a lot. You know? Whereas if the heart is tight, you just always can't stand very much. You know, so this is often, uh, my sense is often the, the one of the difficulties you know, for people is the lack of real self-respect. You know, when you see the social conditioning is very much one where you have to win respect by doing something, by being good at something, by being effective, by being hard-working, by being efficient, by being strong, by being pretty, by being Whatever, you know, it's performance, goal, surface, you know, and what other people say, and what, you know, the worldly values. And that's the only way you get to feel, you know, supposed to make you feel good, but you never do feel good like that. Because you, no matter how hard you try, once you're on that particular way of looking at yourself, there's always a better that you could be. There's always a better that you should be. Because that's the way that particular view always sees things in that kind of, in that way. It never appreciates. Yeah. So we have this um, very common phenomenon, or bit of psychology called this inner tyrant. By no matter what you do, something always saying, well, that wasn't good, was it? You, know, you do something and say, oh, I bet you feel proud of yourself now, don't you? A little kind of sniping thing comes in, or or you you know you make a mistake and it's like you idiot, you clumsy fool, you never do anything right. You know, uh, see, so it's kind of a very high um, self-criticism because we get struck, we get conditioned into being performance-oriented, goal-oriented. Yeah, so you performance. Okay, you win eight gold medals at the Olympic Games. Why didn't you get nine? 
<laughs> you know, or you could do one more, because there's always one more, isn't there? That's what, you know, if you get nine, or you could get ten. So it's always going up, isn't it? You know, some guy runs, I don't know, sprints 100 meters in, I don't know, what is it, eight seconds or something? <laughs> Just unbelievable. <laughs> Well, let's get it down another, you know, tenth of a second down. It's always going up. So there's never, in that way, there's never any any sense of satisfaction or completion or contentment or appreciation. Because the social condition is not aimed at making you feel contented. Otherwise you wouldn't be running around like crazy (laughs) doing all sorts of stuff, would you? You just kind of really chilled out. Nice day, but it's not like that. If you, you know, if you hovered above the planet, you see these crazy little creatures running around, you know. And I uh, think, what's this? What are these crazy, demented creatures? You know, and they th- these are the people who are supposed to be the dominant species. They've got it all sorted out. And you look at them. You look at things like the deer and the badgers. They look a lot more contented and satisfied with themselves than the, the humans. I mean, they can just stand around and chill out. Every human is running backwards and forwards, faster, faster, faster. Because that's the whole kind of goal orientation, social performance, drive, money, efficiency, production thing that we, we get caught in. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, not to run it down. Okay, it's great that we can have nice houses and stuff like that. But it's also a sense in which there's got to be a balance to say, that's enough, I'm happy with this, this is fine. Um, and that balance only comes through through the heart. And so, and you can see how, um, experience how the, the, the more one gets into that particular drive to, to be better, to get more, to be better, then you're actually, your ability to be mindful, to bear things in mind, gets less and less. You can think a lot, but easy overwhelmed. Easy overwhelmed. I remember somebody telling me, they were, you know, they're watching, going, they used to go to London every day on the train. Every day they go to Waterloo, jump on the train at um, Hazelmere, I think, and then commute to London every day and uh, he said everybody just comes to Waterloo station and we're just pouring out the trains just charging through the turnstiles and rushing and then at five o'clock in the evening rushing back to the trains pouring through the turnstiles jump on the train getting the back to the station drive just every day people were doing this really backwards and forwards and one day he just got to Waterloo, he came off the train, and somebody just basically just blew it, he just kind of collapsed. This guy just collapsed on the platform, just weeping. He could, just couldn't, couldn't push it anymore. And people were walking over him. <laughs> just walking over this guy, he just kind of fallen. And people were just either walking around and walking over him, not actually trampling him, but stepping over him. You know, like, what happened to the compassion, you know? What happened to the, you know, humanity? What are we doing? And it was like, what happened to this person, this guy? Just couldn't bear it. Just couldn't bear it anymore. 
mind has just got, heart just got so tight and undernourished of pressure, stress, just couldn't bear being human. Couldn't bear what his mind was bringing up. And of course, you know, human beings are the only creatures that kill themselves, commit suicide. Either virtual suicides of, you know, drunk, depression, drugs, or literal ones. Can't bear it, can't bear another day, can't bear another morning, can't bear another lonely evening. You know? You know? So, so, when you say, what happens to self-respect? You know, if you want to say what, what makes it impossible to bear, you know, another day is you don't have any sense of self-respect. What makes it possible to bear another day is you do have a sense of self-respect. And what that means, it doesn't mean, you know, like performance. It means the basic sense of self-care. And then you can bear things. And you don't get stuck by them. You don't get pinned by them. It's just stuff that can blow through. And respect for others. doesn't mean we kind of adore others or have false impressions of others. We're always looking for just like me, you get disappointed. Just like me, you get confused. Just like me, you get upset. Just like me, you want some comfort. Just like me, you want to be happy. And uh, I, I, I tune into you at that level rather than what, you know, whether you're effective or efficient or, you know, da 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 da. And then that, that's the, that's the, that level. Then suddenly, you know, oh yeah, life becomes a lot richer by itself because we've actually established a path factor. That's this that factor of mindfulness properly established through self-respect, respect for others. Once you've got, you've won that very strong path factor, almost immediately it's there. You can get a sense of, you know, a whole lot of stuff is not being created. A whole lot of stuff is not being created. Stuff that is being created, the stories that come up in your mind, you can see them as stories. You know, the, I should be, I never will be, how am I going to, why is it like this? It's kind of like, they never, I always get this, that, and the other. Oh dear, having a hard day, sit down, you know, just <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to take in stories because you've got something better to feed on. So the stories, some of them are really unpleasant stories, aren't they? That run through your head, you know? Something happens and it goes, I always get this, and I never that, and then it runs into it's a rotten story, you know? Um, a little kind of moaning story, self-pitying story. And we involve other people in these stories. Makes people, other people become actors in our stage. So, oh, could you be my resent person to resent for the day? 
I don't ask you about that. I don't ask you to sign up for it. I decide, I'm, you know, or something in me, I'm going to resent you. <laughs> I can see all the faults in you or whatever. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to fantasize about you. I'm going to make me, you an object of my, my, my sexual desire, you know, without even asking you on that consent on that. So I can kind of dump all that on somebody else. You know, I think these, are, these stories are not very good. Um, and then you get a sense of, of really respect for others and you don't place, you don't expect them to carry your stories you respect yourself you don't need to have a story yeah. so it means the mind starts to quieten down just through those, fact, those factors alone look into it, it's really very, very simple. And we say, what, what do you, what do we respect? Don't, you're not respecting me because I can speak five languages, but respect me because you're a moral, compassionate person. You can do that. Can't do it 24 hours a day, but I can touch into that. I can touch into that dimension in myself. And then, you know, I lose it, I come back to it. It's there. And a lot of our uh, practice is just training to keep coming back to this place of path. And the path will start to eliminate those defilements. It starts to rub out the storylines. It starts to make them pointless, inadequate. You know, the story starts happening. Heard it, done it, been there enough, you know. <laughs> Had a little rant. <laughs> it's finished. It doesn't. It carries less and less emotional conviction. Sometimes I like to, you know, hear my little mind rant about something or other. Ah, having some exercise, ranting exercises, practicing my ranting vocabulary. I should do this, I should do that, I should have thought of all this or the other. And I'm realizing they never do what I tell them. But I don't do what I tell them either. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm. (laughs) Perhaps I should stop saying so much. So this is uh, kind of like this very important factor of of mindfulness. It's not just a matter of of, uh, witnessing something. Witnessing is, is, yeah, it's part of it. You know, you're actually getting some sense of what... But also witnessing from this, from a heart place, from an effective, resonant place. Mm -hmm. And that's what was going to deepen into um, samadhi. Which is absolute murder if you if you don't you know if, if you try to do it just from some act of the will, concentration. So I don't even like to bring that word into the hall because <laughs> immediately you know, tighten up, screw up in your forehead, and you got to try and dominate everything, stamp all those ideas out, and get get concentrated. Whereas if you come from the full-heartedness, then you just start to have less and less to say, less and less story, less and less need, and you things settle down. 
feel contented, firm in that. And that's what we call right concentration, sense of settledness. And it's these, these are the factors that really eliminate, start to rub the complex psychological world, thins, thins out, becomes uh, fine, subtle. So when we come to, uh, you know, meditating for, from, the, from that particular place, there's really not a lot to do. It's a continual returning to the right resonance. We don't, you know, enrich these stories, personal histories, um, you know, personal statements. It remains, life remains rather mysterious, rather wonderful, rather open. And so that as we liberate our own minds, we also liberate the world around us because we're not walking around slapping our stories onto everybody else who walks down the street. The world becomes a place of, well, you know, I don't know what it is. So in liberating oneself, one is really, you can't liberate yourself without liberating others. <laughs> you know, and it sounds like, uh, well, how, what do you mean? You know, like some kind of missionary, you've got to go around and get everybody else into nirvana. No, that means the very act of self-respect has to go along with respect for others. You free them from carrying your, these crazy stories. You, and then they become... Uh, open, empty, spacious, uh, and resonant. The world becomes a place of great uh, beauty and joy. Anyone?